Father God, uh, thank you for the privilege of having your word. Thank you for the privilege of reading, studying, meditating on your word. Thank you for the privilege of uh, sharing your word together. Father, I pray that the words of my mouth, the meditation of my heart would be acceptable in your sight, for you are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Once upon a time, there was a farmer named Gilbert. He raised three sons to be farmers. As they grew up and as he grew older, they helped him uh, work the land. Gilbert had a, a few cows, a few pigs, some chickens. He grew strawberries and blackberries. He grew walnuts and filberts. Some years he planted oats and barley. Each spring, he planted wheat. He never needed to plant Canadian uh, thistles. They always seemed to come up volunteer. Every year, right after harvest, uh, Gilbert would burn his grain fields, then plow them under in preparation for the next year's uh, planting. As spring approached, he would uh, disc and harrow the uh, fields. The soil would be uh, good and loose. When he planted the wheat, the uh, kernels would be able to lodge in the ground, germinate, and take root. When spring arrived, when the soil was warm enough, Gilbert would hitch his planter to his farmall tractor, fill the bins with wheat seed, and plant his uh, wheat field. He never needed to plant Canadian thistles, Despite the fields being burned and plowed and disked and harrowed, the uh, thistles always seemed to come up volunteer. If you went out behind the barn a couple weeks later and looked uh, south, you might see what looked like green fuzz appearing on the field. If you walked on down the lane past the cow pasture, you would see the emerging seedlings. You couldn't tell what you were looking at. At that stage, wheat, oats, barley, and the grass in your lawn would all look about the same. It wouldn't matter. Gilbert knew what he had planted there. After another four or five weeks, the young plants would be getting taller, somewhere between your ankle and your knee. You could tell they were different from the grass in your lawn. You still couldn't tell if they were wheat, oats, or barley. You would also note some Canadian thistles. They weren't planted. They just came up volunteer. About six weeks after the green fuzz had appeared in the fields, heads would appear atop the wheat plants. At that point, you could tell you were not looking at oats or barley. Gilbert knew it would still be another four weeks or five weeks until the wheat would be ready to harvest. 
The plants would continue growing uh, taller, and as the weeks went by, they would turn from green to golden. The thistles would grow too, and they would also develop heads. The wheat heads would become plump and full. They would turn from green to golden to a light, rusty brown. And as the heads filled out and changed color, Gilbert would walk down the lane in the evening, select a head, pluck it, and hull it between his hands. As the days and weeks went by, Gilbert would continue hulling heads of wheat until the heads fell apart in his hands. When that happened, he would put a kernel between his teeth and bite down on it. He was checking the uh, consistency. He was also checking the taste. Now, was he tasting for the protein content or the vitamins and minerals or the antioxidants? Didn't matter. Gilbert knew when perfectly ripened wheat tasted just right. He would hitch his old orange combine to his farm all tractor, harvest the wheat, truck it across the road to his cousin's granary, burn the field to kill off as much thistle seed as possible, then plow the field in preparation for the following spring. Once upon a time, there was another farmer. He sowed his seed, his uh, field with uh, good seed. Now, it wasn't uh, grown and certified in Oregon uh, Durham spring wheat, but it was good seed. He didn't plant weeds. Those usually came up volunteer. He would go to bed at night, after after all, staying up all night, wouldn't make the wheat germinate any faster. This farmer did have at least one enemy, possibly more. One of those guys went into his field one night and scattered weed seed, even though weeds usually came up volunteer. The weeds weren't evident immediately, but by the time the wheat started putting out heads, it became evident to the farmhands that not everything in the field was wheat. The farmer immediately concluded that one of his enemies was responsible for those weeds. Now, his farmhands had a suggestion. They would go out into the field and pull up all the weeds. The farmer, concerned for the wheat, and knowing that the wheat still needed another month to mature, vetoed that idea. He told the farmhands to chill. Then he gave them his plan. Once the wheat was mature, 
he would call in the threshing crew. The threshers would go through the field, gather up the weeds first, then burn the weeds. Once that was done, the threshers would gather the wheat and put it in the barn. Today we begin looking at the second of Jesus' uh, parables recorded in Matthew 13. If you've not already turned to Matthew uh, 13, uh, beginning at uh, verse uh, 24, please uh, do so. Reviewing what we've already uh, discussed, parables are best understood as stories. If we try to approach them as something other than uh, stories, we may soon find that they don't make sense. Jesus told stories because stories are sticky. They stimulate our uh, thinking and are easier to remember than other literary forms. We need to remember that Jesus intended for his stories to make at least some sense to his audiences. We must attempt to avoid reading things from our culture into what Jesus was saying to his audience in first century Palestine. We need to consider a few things as we approach the uh, parables or any other story. First of all, who is the intended audience for this story? Is this story written for an infant or a three-year-old or an adult? Is Jesus speaking to Sadducees and priests? Is he speaking to Pharisees and scholars? Or is he speaking to ordinary folks? We need to look at the uh, setting. Where is Jesus as he's telling this story? Why is he telling this story to these people in this place at this particular time? As we look at the uh, story, we need to identify the characters and consider what we know about them. Finally, we need to follow the flow of the story itself. How does it start? Where does it go? How does it get there? Are there any surprises along the way? Let's look at the uh, setting. Now, as uh, Joe Stenkamp established for us four weeks ago, Jesus is on the shore of this large lake that we commonly know as the uh, Sea of Galilee. The lake sits down in a bowl surrounded by hills. Now, as you can see from the uh, photo, the hills around the uh, lake are lush, green, fertile. Galilee is today and was back in Jesus' day the region's breadbasket. This is farm country. I'm not sure how the fishing is now, but in uh, Jesus' uh, day, the lake was an extremely rich fishery. As Joe mentioned four weeks ago, the events in Matthew 13 probably began in the early morning. There would be a breeze coming up off the lake, across the beach, and toward the hilltops. 
According to Alfred Edersheim and other uh, scholars, we are probably sometime in the spring. The olive trees and the uh, grapevines would be blossoming. The grain would start to sprout, and you would see a fine green fuzz on the hills. The chapter begins as Jesus leaves the house where he was staying and heads for the beach. Next thing you know, a crowd gathers. Jesus is a traveling rabbi. He's a teacher. What would you expect a teacher to do when an audience assembles? So who is in the audience? And this is not a a game of uh, what is wrong with this picture. Well, for starters, we have farmers. What are farmers doing there? Well, it's springtime. Shouting encouragement at your olive trees or cheerleading, let's grow grapes, is unlikely to hurry things along any faster. Not at this time in year. The uh, fishermen may not have been present for the uh, first uh, parable. Remember, they fished at night and they may still have been sorting their night's catch, mending their nets, hanging out the nets to dry in preparation for the next night's uh, fishing. Some of them, if they didn't catch anything, may have uh, finished by the time Jesus tells his parable. The others would be done in time for uh, Gabe Hendricks to walk us through a fish story four weeks from now. (laughs) Among the listeners would have been uh, Jesus' uh, followers, not just the 12, but as Andrew Schaaf pointed out from Mark 4, 10, three weeks ago, other followers who approached Jesus after hearing the parable of the uh, sower. Last but not least, any time a crowd gathered in Galilee, there would be Roman soldiers around the perimeter to make sure the crowd did not get out of hand. And remember, in Matthew 8, these soldiers were aware that this Jesus had rescued their commander's servant from the brink of death. Some of the crowd who gathered in Matthew 13, 2 may have wandered off while Jesus was explaining the uh, parable of the uh, sower to his followers. New listeners may have uh, come along to see what all the excitement was about. For those who had come early in the morning and had stayed around what they were about to hear in this second parable, would build on what they had already heard in the first parable. So who are the characters in this story? On the left, you have the good guys. On the right, we know there is at least one bad guy. There are no ambiguous characters in this story. So let's start reading the uh, story. 
He presented another parable to them, saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field. In Matthew 13, 11, Jesus tells his followers who ask him why he was telling uh, stories, to you it has been granted to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven. In verse 19, he mentions the word of the kingdom of heaven. Jesus begins this parable by essentially saying, I am going to give you a picture of what the kingdom is like. Then he says, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man. Show of hands, how many of us uh, fully understand the kingdom of heaven? I thought so. How many of us would like to better understand the kingdom of heaven? Okay, there are a few. Um, Jesus begins by saying, if you want to understand the uh, kingdom of heaven, you need to understand that the story revolves around a specific person. Each of the parables to follow will give us a different picture and some additional detail. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed. The kingdom of heaven is like leaven. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure. It's like a pearl. It's like a fishnet. But in this story, who is this uh, person? What do we know about this person? Well, first of all, he owns a field. He sows seed in his field. Second, he's out in his field and he's doing something. He's sowing seed and it's good seed. Now, in the previous parable, the seed was the word of God in the Gospel of Luke or the word of the kingdom in Matthew. Is the seed the same in this parable? But while men were sleeping, his enemy came and sowed tares also among the wheat and went away. The first thing we notice is that the farmer was probably not staying awake all night. After all, coaxing would not make the wheat sprout any faster. We also see the bad guy making his appearance then promptly leaving. The message translates the Greek word zizania as thistles. The ESV and most other contemporary uh, translations render the word uh, zizania as uh, weeds. The King James and the 1977 New American Standard and a few others render zizania's uh, tares. But how would the farmers listening to Jesus have understood this? Okay, we are going to take a break for a botany lesson. According to Adersheim, there were two weeds the farmers would have immediately thought of. The first is a grass called uh, bearded darnel or lilium timulentum. Like wheat, 
Darnell is a grass. Some of you might recognize Lolium as a ryegrass. Now, if you've ever uh, planted winter rye as a cover crop in your uh, garden, you know that the roots produce a hormone that inhibits weeds. This is a good thing. However, if you keep planting winter rye year after year after year, it will eventually inhibit your corn and your peas and, yes, even your zucchini. Furthermore, for at least the last 4,000 years, Darnell has carried the genes of a fungus called Neotyphodium occultans. If your cattle eat it, or if you grind it into flour and eat it, the worst thing that could happen to you, you or your cattle is you could go blind. Now, what have we heard recently about seeing but not perceiving? Or hearing but not understanding? The parables build on one after another. The second weed the farmers would have thought of is triticum or elemus repans, otherwise known as creeping wheat. You may know it from the health food store as couch grass. If you look at the uh, scientific names and at the photos, these two plants are very closely related. So what's the problem? Well, the problem with T. repens is that it produces a very extensive root system out of sight, under the ground, where it will literally strangle the adjacent plants. Now, have we heard anything recently about young plants being strangled by weeds? Back to the uh, story. But when this wheat sprang up and bore grain, then the tares became evident also. And the slaves of the landowner came and said to him, Sir, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have tares? Now, the plot is beginning to thicken. As we've already seen, this story builds on the previous story and on Jesus' response when his followers asked him why he was telling stories. We see a couple of new things in these two verses. First, there is a dialogue. There's conversation. In the parable of the uh, sower, the sower never talks to the seed, the birds, or the rocks, and the rocks and the weeds and the uh, seed and the birds never talk to the uh, sower. Now we hear the farmer's farmhands talking with the farmer, and they have a question. They're concerned about what's going to happen to the wheat. Hint. The conversation between the farmer and his farmhands is the heart of this parable. Go back and reread it. Second, why are they asking this question? I mean, Canadian thistle is a well-known invasive uh, species in 
Marion County, and Gilbert was never surprised to see some coming up in his uh, wheat field despite all his precautions. Bearded Darnell and creeping wheat were well-known invasive species in the Middle East, dating back to at least 2000 BC. Why were the farmhands surprised? What was it that caught their attention? Why were they asking the farmer about the quality of his seed? And he said to them, an enemy has done this. And the slave said to him, do you want us then to go and gather them up? But he said, no, lest while you are gathering up the tares, you may root up the wheat with them. Now we are really getting into the conversation between the farmer and the farmhands. Now the plot continues to thicken. The farmer immediately ascribes the presence of weeds to an enemy. Note the indefinite article. This is Bobbin. An enemy. Did the farmer have more than one enemy? If so, did he have any idea which one was responsible? Given that these weeds were common in Galilee, why did he immediately jump to the conclusion that they were deliberately and maliciously planted? Was this dude paranoid? Well, we know from verse uh, 25 that in this case, there really was an enemy responsible. As we noted in verse 27, the farmhands are genuinely concerned. Fortunately, as we see in verse 28, they have a plan. Makes sense, right? Go out, pull up the uh, weeds before they uh, stunt the uh, wheat crop or before the weeds have a chance to uh, go to seed. It's reasonable, isn't it? But the farmer vetoes the uh, plan. He is also concerned about the eventual wheat yield. He is concerned that in the process of pulling up the weeds, the farmhands will pull up the wheat, thereby decreasing the yield. Makes sense, right? But if we follow the farmer's plan, won't the bearded uh, Darnell hormonally uh, stunt the wheat, and won't the creeping wheat strangle the roots of the wheat plants? And if we wait... Won't the weeds have time to go to seed? What is this farmer thinking? Now, go back to the uh, lakeside. Look at the audience. Do you think that at this point in the uh, story, Jesus has the farmer's in the audience on the edge of their seats, just like Wayne Bobbitt. Just wait one more verse. It gets even more intense. Reading on. 
allow both to grow together until the harvest. And in the time of harvest, I will say to the reapers, first gather up the tares and bind them in bundles to burn them up, but gather the wheat into my barn. Now we hear the farmer's plan. Is this a risk-free, uh, risk-free plan? Absolutely not. There's a risk that lolium temulentum would stunt the wheat's growth. There's a risk that triticum repens could strangle the wheat's roots. There is a risk both could go to seed. And there's a risk that in the process of gathering up the tares, the reapers could trample the wheat. What is this farmer thinking? How does he plan to pull it off? Now, when Gilbert was chewing on that kernel of perfectly ripe ripe, uh, wheat, he was tasting for something that his grandsons never quite figured out. When Elmer was sniffing that garden soil, he was smelling for something, something his grandson never quite figured out that told him that that soil needed potash. Do you suppose that this farmer knows something no one else does? The farmer's response to his farmhands contains two instructive pieces. First, I will be calling someone else in to bring in this particular harvest. Note uh, that he doesn't say, and both allow both to grow together until the harvest, and in the time of the harvest, I will tell you all. Second, he's telling them, you need to wait until the harvest and in the time of harvest. Now, is you need to wait a message Jesus' audience would have been familiar with. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. Now, Joe alluded to this uh, psalm last week as he was wrapping up his walk through the uh, story of the sower. Stories are sticky, and this may be one of the stickiest verses in all the uh, psalms. It's certainly a passage that Jesus' listeners would have 
recalled. But wait, there's more. My soul, wait in silence for God only, for my hope is from him. The Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the person who seeks him. It is good that he waits silently for the salvation of the Lord. Jesus' listeners would likely have recalled these passages as well. Now, as Dallas Willard observed, we Americans are uneasy with silence. We need to have at least some white noise in the background, or we go nuts. As Kem Primrose says, waiting is countercultural. Note that these scriptures do not speak about any sort of waiting, about some sort of vague, abstract waiting. This is a very focused waiting. This is waiting for a particular, specific someone. The kingdom of heaven is like a man. I wait for the Lord. My soul does wait, and in his word do I hope. My soul waits for the Lord more than the watchman for the morning. Indeed, more than the watchman for the morning. Note that this focused waiting for a specific purpose is expectant waiting. This is like the farmhands and the threshing crew waiting for the word from the farmer. There's a high level of anticipation here. Now, these verses would have been in the Bible that Jesus and his listeners read. They would have known them. And by the way, they're also in our Bible. We impatient, pragmatic Americans have a hard time waiting. We want to get moving. We want to be doing something. Waiting does not mean that we get to go about our usual frenetic uh, routines, leaving it up to God to be busy doing something for us in the meantime. This is about stepping out of our routines and waiting for God. The uh, psalmist also describes here hoping in the word of the Lord. Recall that in the parable of the sower, the seed is the word of the kingdom or the word of God. Now, does this passage right here 
give us any additional insight on that first parable. Go back and reread it. In his word, do I hope, how often do we encounter folks who are starving for hope? But as for me, I am like a green olive tree in the house of God. I trust in the loving kindness of God forever and ever. I will give thee thanks forever because thou hast done it, and I will wait on thy name for it is good in the presence of thy godly ones. Do we see a pattern emerging here? The farmer tells his farmhands to wait because he has a plan. He knows something they don't know. The instruction to wait would be something Jesus' listeners would have been familiar with from the scriptures. Do you suppose any of them might felt might have felt like a uh, green olive tree planted by the seed of Galilee? Are we like green olive trees? Do we occasionally feel like dried up prune trees? But his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law, he meditates day and night. And he will be like a tree firmly planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in its season. And his leaf does not wither, and in whatever he does, he prospers. Remember how we wrapped up five weeks ago. Jesus admonished another audience to become like little children if they wished to enter the kingdom of heaven. Children love stories. Children don't get tired of hearing the same stories over and over and over again. Now, as we go into this coming week, let's step out of our hurried routine and sit in the story. Soak in the story. Think about this story that Jesus has been telling. Ask some of the uh, questions that I've raised, and no, I don't know the answers to them. Think about the kingdom of God as demonstrated by this farmer. The kingdom of heaven is like a man. Look back to see how this story builds on the previous one. And for all of us Sunday school kids in the audience, we need to avoid rushing straight to verse 36. Come back next week to hear two very short stories that build on what we read today.
Lord Jesus, we uh, thank you for uh, telling stories. We thank you that you tell stories that are so sticky that we remember them, and unfortunately we too often uh, think that we know what they're all about. Holy Spirit, we uh, pray that you would provoke us to continue to look into the story to see you, to see Jesus, to see the Father. Amen.